Okay. I am live. I'm going to just pick up where I left off. Reading from Ludwig Ott's Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, we're going to do, we're going to start book one, The Unity and Trinity of God. Part one, The Unity of God, His, His Existence and Nature. Section one, The Existence of God. Chapter 1. The Natural Knowability of the Existence of God. Section 1. The Possibility of the Natural Knowledge of God in the Light of Supernatural Revelation. Number 1. Dogma. God, our Creator and Lord, can be known with certainty by the natural light of reason from created things. This is a de fide dogma, the highest form of dogma. If you want to see what the different forms of dogma are, the different grades of certainty of the dogmas, re, uh, go back and listen to or watch uh, the prior episode, which was the introduction. It's going to talk, tell you all about that, different grades of certainty among the dogmas. A de fide dogma is the highest grade of certainty among the dogmas. Continuing with the text, the Vatican Council defined, and then it says in Latin, you can translate that for yourself. I'll read the English. If any, if anybody says that the one true God, our creator and Lord, cannot be known with certainty in the light of human reason by those things which have been made, anathema sit, let him be accursed or excommunicated. The Vatican definition stresses the following points. Number two, the object of our knowing is the one true God, our creator and Lord. Therefore, an extra mundane, that is to say, personal God. I wonder if uh, this two, I just read two, I wonder if it was supposed to read A. That might be a mistake. A, I'll assume that it was A because the following ones are B, C, D, and E. So I'll start again. A. The object of our knowing is the one true God, our Creator and Lord, therefore an extra-mundane, personal God. Extra-mundane, I guess, means uh, supernatural, above the ordinary, outside of the ordinary, extraordinary. B. The subjective principle of knowledge is natural reason in the condition of fallen nature. C. The means of knowledge are created things. D. The knowledge is from its nature and manner a knowledge of certitude. E. Such knowledge of God is possible, but it is not the only way of knowing him. Not everyone's going to come to God through philosophy the way I did. Number two. Scriptural proof. According to the testimony of Holy Writ, the existence of God can be known a from nature. See Wisdom thirteen one to nine. Quote: For by the greatness of the beauty and of the creature, the Creator of them may be seen. And then another citation from Romans one twenty. Quote: for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his eternal power and his divinity also, so that they are inexcusable, end quote. The knowledge of God witnessed to in those two passages is a natural, certain, immediate, and easily achieved knowledge. B. From conscience, see Romans 2, 14 and following. Quote, when, for, when the Gentiles, <clears throat> for when the Gentiles who know not the Mosaic law do by nature these things that are of the law, these having not the law are a law to themselves, who shew the work of the law written in their hearts. End quote. I'll read that again. For when the Gentiles, who know not the law, do by nature these things that are of the law, 
These, having not the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. End quote. The heathens, that is, the heathens, that is, know naturally, without supernatural revelation, the essential content of the Old Testament. The Old Testament law. In their hearts a law has been written whose binding power indicates a supreme lawgiver. See from history. See Acts 14, 14-16, and 17, 26-29. St. Paul, in his discourses at Lystra and at the Areopagus in Athens, shows that God reveals himself in beneficent works, beneficent works also to the heathens, and that it is easy to find him as he is near to each of us. Quote, for in him we live and move and are. Three, proof from tradition. The fathers, in referring to the assertions of Holy Scripture, stressed the possibility of the facility of the natural knowledge of God. Compare Tertullian, quote, O testimony of the soul which is by its nature Christian, end quote. The Greek fathers preferred the cosmological proofs of God which proceed from external experience. The Latin fathers preferred the psychological proofs which flow from inner experience. Compare Theophilus of Antioch in his work Ad Autolysum. Quote, God has called everything into existence from nothing so that his greatness might be known and understood through his works. Just as the soul in man is not seen, as it is invisible, but is known through the movement of the body, so God cannot be seen with human eyes. But he is observed and known through providence and his works. Just as one at the sight of a well-equipped ship which sweeps over the sea and steers toward a harbor becomes aware that there is a helmsman on her who directs her, so also one must be aware that God is the director of everything, even though he is not seen with bodily eyes, as he cannot be apprehended by them. End quote. Compare St. Irenaeus, St. John Chrysostom, give the citations there if you want to look that up. Number four, the innate idea of God. Taking their stand on the authority of the Fathers, many Catholic theologians, for example, Ludwig Thomas, Thomasinus, Heinrich Klee, Anton Staudenmeier, Johannes von Kuhn, taught that the idea of God is not acquired by deductive thinking from the world of experience, but is innate in man. Idea innata. Certainly many of the fathers, for example, St. Justin, St. Justin Martyr, that is, and St. Clement of Alexandria characterized the knowledge of God as automatic, not learned, not learned, I should say, automatically learned, implanted, self-taught, or as a gift of the soul. St. John of Damascus says, quote, The knowledge of the existence of God is implanted by him in all in their nature. End quote. But as the same fathers teach that we must win the knowledge of God from the contemplation of nature, therefore, according to their conception, what is innate is not the idea of God as such, but the ability easily and to a certain extent spontaneously to know the existence of God from his works. Compare St. Thomas in Boethium de Trinitate. There's the Latin and the English is, The knowledge of him is said to be innate in us insofar as we can easily know the existence of God by means of principles which are innate in us. So the knowledge of him is said to be innate in us insofar as we can easily know the existence of God by means of the principles which are innate in us. Interesting. Section 2. The possibility of a proof of God's existence. And here we have another dogma. The existence of God can be proved by means of causality. Sent fide proxima. That's the grade of certitude of this dogma. You can go back and uh, verify all the different grades in my 
first episode, which was the introduction. Continuing with the text now, the traditionalists, L.E. Botin and A. Botany, Bonetti, having been reproved by the teaching authority of the church, signed the assertion that reason can with certainty prove the existence of God. Both of those men, I'm reading, I'm just commentating here in parentheses, shows the deaths of both of those men that were in the late 19th century, 1869 for Botin, 1879 for Bonetti, just have some historical context. Continuing now with the text. Pope Pius X extended the Vatican definition of the, of the natural knowability of God in the anti-modernist oath, 1910, by the more exact statement that the existence of God can formally be proved through reason by means of the principle of causality. The Latin is given, you can translate that if you like. God, the beginning and end of all things, can be known with certainty by the natural light of reason, as a, as a cause is known by its effects, from those things that are made, that is, by the visible works of creation, and can, be equal, and can equally be demonstrated to be. The possibility of the proof of God flows, A, from the dogma of the natural knowability of God, for the proof of God's existence is distinguished from the elementary knowledge of God, only in that the basis for the knowledge is proposed in a more scientific form. B, from the fact that since the time of the Father's theologians have adduced proofs of the existence of God. C, for example, Aristides, Theophilus of Antioch. Um, Minucius Felix, St. Augustine, St. John of Damascus, all the references are there if you want to look them up. Scho continuing, scholasticism in its greatest exponents has unshakably adhered to the demonst demonstrability of the existence of God. The scholastic proofs of God found their classical formulation in St. Thomas Aquinas, was only in the area in the era of late scholasticism that influential representatives of nominalism, and then in parenthesis we have Wilhelm of Ockham, Nicholas of Utrecourt, Peter of Ai, and parenthesis, in consequence of their skepticism, began to doubt the certainty of the proofs of God's existence. These proofs are based on the absolute validity of the principles of causality, which St. Thomas formulates thus. Omne quad movetur ab alio movetur. Movere means transition from potence to act. While Kant, under the influence of David Hume, limited the validity of this to the world of experience, St. Thomas establishes its transcendental validity, which far surpasses the world of experience, by reference to the self-evident principle of contradiction. The reference is given there to the Summa. Section 3. Errors regarding the natural knowability of God. Number 1. Traditionalism. Traditionalism, which developed as a reaction against, rational, against the rationalism of the Enlightenment, proceeds from the view that God, in a, in a comprehensive primitive revelation bestowed on man simultaneously with speech, a sum of religious and moral basic truths, which have been reproduced in mankind through tradition. General reason or common sense guarantees the unfalsified transference of the original heritage of the revelation. The individual receives it through oral teaching. Reason cannot achieve of itself the knowledge of the existence of God. In parenthesis, skepticism. The knowledge of God is, like every religious and moral knowledge, a knowledge of faith. The chief exponents of traditionalism in its strict form are L.G.A. de Bonal, F. de Lemonet, and L.E. Botin. It was represented in a moderated form by A. Bonetti and G. Ventura. This theory was condemned by Pope Gregory XVI, Pope Pius IX, and by the Vatican Council. The semi-traditionalists of the school of Low admit indeed that natural reason from the contemplation of natural things 
can with certainty recognize existence of God, but only on the supposition that it has already, through instruction, imbibed the idea of God originating from the primitive revelation. Traditionalism is to be rejected on philosophical and theological grounds. A. The language does not generate concepts. It presupposes them. B. Acceptance of the revelation presupposes, according to reason, knowledge of the revealing God and the certain conviction of the truth of his testimony. 2. Atheism. The systems of agnosticism, skepticism, and Kantian criticism deny the certain nobility of the and the demonstrability of the existence of God, but can be associated with the belief in a, di in a divine being. They are based on the principle, we do not know and we shall not know. Ignoramus et ignorabibus, ignoramibus, ignorabimus, ignoramus et ignorabimus. We do not know and we shall not know. Negative atheism is inculpable ignorance regarding the existence of God. Positive atheism, materialism, pantheism, directly denies the existence of a supermundane personal divine being. It was condemned by the Vatican Council. So we have the negative atheism, sort of an agnosticism, and then which is sort of invincible ignorance or an inculpable ignorance. And then you have positive atheism, which outright denies the knowability of God and the existence of God. As far as the possibility of atheism is concerned, it cannot be denied that there are atheistic doctrinal systems, materialism, pantheism, and practical atheists, that is, people who live as if there were no God. The possibility that there are also subjectively convinced theoretical atheists is founded in the spiritual and moral weakness of man and on the fact that the proofs of God are not immediately but only immediately evident. But as the knowledge of God can easily be gained from the contemplation of nature and the life of the soul, it will not be possible permanently to, in, to adhere to an honest and positive conviction of the non-existence of God. An inculpable and invincible ignorance regarding the existence of God is not possible for a long time in a normal grown-up person in view of the facility of the natural knowledge of God attested in Holy Writ and in tradition. Time for a mic drop. Powerful, powerful stuff. Kant's critique, well, I think you pronounce it Kant. While Kant in his pre-critical period recognized the possibility of the proofs of God and even developed the ideological proof of God, and then in parenthesis, compare the article published in 1763, quote, the only possible ground for proof, ground, the only possible ground of proof for a d demonstration of the existence of God, unquote. That's what he, uh, that's how he characterizes uh, his ideological proof of God as the only possible ground of proof for a demonstration of the existence of God. In his critical period, he denied the validity of all proofs of God. And then in parenthesis, compare the critique of pure reason, which appeared in 1781. End of parenthesis. According to Kant, the only object of theoretical reason is the world of phenomena. The supersensual is withdrawn from it. The validity of the principle of causality is limited to things perceptible to the senses. In order to refute the individual proofs of God's existence, Kant sought to show that they all go back to the ontological argument by deriving from the concept of the supreme reality its factual existence. Nevertheless, Kant believed in the existence of God and designated this belief to the postulate of practical reason. Kant's philosophy exercised a decisive influence on the Protestant theology of the 19th century. From the standpoint of the Kantian doctrine of cognition, it rejected the rational foundation of religion and with it the intellectual proofs of the existence of God and taught that religious truths must be perceived not by reason, but through religious feeling, which affirms the existence of God and by which we live in God. They claim that it is on this subjective religious experience that faith is founded. The consequence is a sharp separation of the spheres of knowledge and faith. And then in parenthesis, they have Jacobi Schleiermacher, Richkel, and Harnack.
because they're proponents of that uh, Kantian sort of form of Protestantism. Number four, modernism, the cognition... The cognitional theoretical basis of modernism is agnosticism, according to which human rational cognition is limited to the world of experience. Religion, according to this theory, develops from the principle of vital immanence, immanentism, that is, from the need for God which dwells in the human soul. The truths of religion are, according to the general progress of culture, caught up in a constant substantial development. Evolutionism. Interesting. Chapter 2, The Supernatural Knowability of the Existence of God. Section 4, God's Existence as an Object of Faith. 1. Dogma. God's existence is not merely an object of natural, rational knowledge, but also an object of supernatural faith. This is a defide dogma, the highest grade of certainty. In the beginning of all the formulas of the faith stands the fundamental article, I believe in one God. The Vatican Council teaches, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church believes and confesses that there is a God. The denial of God's existence is condemned as heresy by the same council. According to Hebrews 11.6, faith in the existence of God is an indispensable condition of salvation. Without faith, quote, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who wishes to approach God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder to him, to, to them that seek him, end quote. That's Hebrews 11.6. But only supernatural faith in Revelation is effective unto salvation. The supernatural revelation of the existence of God confirms the natural knowledge of God and enables the existence of God to be known easily by all without certainty, excuse me, to be known easily by all with certainty and without any admixture of error, relative or moral necessity of the revelation. Let me read that again. The supernatural revelation of the existence of God confirms the natural knowledge of God and enables the existence of God to be known easily by all with certainty and without any admixture of error, relative or moral necessity of the revelation. Not sure I understand that. Relative or moral necessity of the revelation. Not sure why that's tagged on there at the end. I'll have to go back to that on my own time and look at that. I'm not sure what that little tag is there. Number two, knowledge and faith as regards the same object. It is a disputed point whether one and the same person can at the same time have knowledge and faith in the existence of God. Many outstanding scholastic theologians, Alexander of Hale, St. Bonaventure, Albertus Magnus, and many later theologians, Suarez, assert that such is possible because the formal object is different, natural insight versus divine revelation, and because both acts or habits belong to different orders of being, nature versus grace. St. Thomas, on the contrary, teaches, it is, it is impossible for the same truth to be known and believed by the same person. As ground for this, he submits that the clear insight into the truth associated with knowledge cannot coexist with the obscurity of faith. It is, however, possible that the same truth could be known by one person and believed by another. According to the teaching of St. Thomas, it is also possible for the same person at the one time to have a natural knowledge of the existence of God as the, origina as the originator of the natural order and a supernatural faith in the existence of God as the originator of the supernatural order, because the supernatural faith comprehends truths which are not contained in natural knowledge. And then in parenthesis, difference of the material object. Interesting. So again, we have the Franciscans and the Thomists disagreeing. Moving on now, section two, the nature of God. Chapter one, the knowledge of the nature of God. Section five, the natural knowledge of the nature of God in this world. 
As the knowledge of the existence of a thing is not possible without some cognition of its constitution, so the natural knowledge of the existence of God, there is always a certain knowledge of his nature. So in the natural knowledge of the existence of God, there is always a certain knowledge of his nature. Every single proof of God reveals a definite perfection of the divine nature. The naturally achievable knowledge of God is deepened and extended by supernatural revelation. One, constitution of our natural knowledge of God in this world. A, immediate knowledge. And here we have a dogma. Our natural knowledge of God in this world is not an immediate intuitive cognition, but immediate abstractive knowledge because it is attained through the knowledge of creatures. Sent certa. In opposition to the teaching of the church, ontologism, Mal, uh, they cite Malbranche, who died in 1715, and Gioberti, who died in 1852. Ontologism teaches that even in this life, we possess from nature an immediate intuitive knowledge of God, and that in the light of the immediate knowledge of God, we become cognizant of created things. The order of knowledge must correspond to the order of being. God, as the first being, must therefore also be the primary object of knowledge. That is taught in opposition to the teaching of the church. It's called ontologism. Ontologism is incompatible with the doctrine of the General Council of Vienna, according to which the soul requires the supernatural light of glory for the immediate knowledge of God. In 1861 and 1887, the Holy Office rejected several ontologistical assertions. Holy Writ proves, on the one hand, that the natural knowledge of God is attained through created things. In parenthesis, we have a comparison with Wisdom 13.1. And parenthesis. And, on the other hand, that no human being is capable of seeing God immediately, but that the vision of God is reserved for the other life. Compare 1 Timothy 6.16. Quote, He inhabiteth light inaccessible, whom no one hath seen, nor can see, end quote. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 12, quote, Now we see him through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face, end quote. Ontologism also contradicts the testimony of consciousness and in its consequences leads to pantheism and rationalism. The ontologists, quite wrongly, appeal to the teaching of St. Augustine of the knowledge in rationibus eternis, for St. Augustine, without doubt, teaches immediate cognition of God, which proceeds from the contemplation of the human soul or of the external world, and which ascends to God. Many heretics want to appeal to St. Augustine because he's such a genius. But it doesn't hold in this case or in any other heretical case. B. Analogical cognition. Our knowledge of God, here's another dogma. Our knowledge of God here below is not proper, but analogical. Hence the via negativa. While cognition properly so-called comprehends an, ob an object through its own mental form, or by immediate vision, analogical cognition comprehends an object through an alien form. In the cognition of God in this world, we apply concepts gained from the created things to God on the ground of a certain similarity and ordination of the created things to him as their efficient and exemplary cause. There is a relation of analogy between the creatures and the creator, which is found on the fact that the creature is necessarily made to the likeness of the creator. This analogy is the basis of all natural knowledge of God. Compare Wisdom 13.5. This so-called analogy of being is sharply rejected by K. Bart as the invention of Antichrist. Despite this analogy or similarity, there is a much greater dissimilarity between the creatures and the creator, namely the dissimilarity between the finite and the infinite. Two, method of the natural knowledge of God here below. Drink of water.
Two, method of the natural knowledge of God here below. Our cognition of God in this world comes as Pseudo-Dionysius the Areopagite taught by the threefold way of affirmation, negation, and eminence. A. The way of affirmation, or causality, proceeds from the consideration that God is the efficient cause of all things, and that the efficient cause contains in itself every perfection which is in the effect. From this it follows that God, the originator of all creatures, possesses every true perfection of the creatures. The pure perfections are formally ascribed to God. The mixed perfections, which contain something finite in their concept, are ascribed to God in a transferred sense, metaphorically or anthropomorphically, only. So the pure perfections belong properly to God, they're formally ascribed to God. The mixed perfections, which contain something finite in their concept, are ascribed to God in a transferred sense only, that is to say in a metaphorical or anthropomorphical sense only. B. The way of negation denies to God every imperfection which is found in created things, also the circumscription attached to imperfections of created things, deriving from their finiteness. Such negation of an imperfection implies affirmation and eminence. For example, infinite equals absence of limit, that is to say, fullness of being. Under the influence of the theology of the Neoplatonists, certain individual fathers make use of such formulations as, quote, God is not substance, not light, not life, not sense, not spirit, not wisdom, not goodness, end quote. Pseudo-Dionysius, Mysticus Theologicus, or whatever it is, chapter 3. They do not wish to deny to God these perfections, but to assert that these perfections do not belong to God in the same manner as they do to creatures, but in an infinitely higher manner. So if you've heard me talking about the via negativa, this is what, this is why we're allowed to say that God is not good. Okay? It's not to deny the perfection of goodness, it's just to say that God transcends in an infinite way the goodness that we know by analogy through creatures, right? We know the goodness of creatures, but the goodness of God is not that. It's only, we can only speak in terms of analogy about the goodness of God. C. The way of eminence enables us to deduce from the finite perfections of creatures the possession by God of infinite analogous perfections. That's, I often speak about uh, how atheists acknowledge there's a good, there's a better, but they deny the best. This is the way of, evident, of eminence. The three modes of cognition complement one another, for the attributing of a perfection to God demands the attribution of it to him eminently, and the negation of every imperfection. Compare Ecclesiasticus 43.29, St. John of Damascus, the Fide Orthodoxy, whatever it is. Number three, imperfection imperfection of the knowledge of God here below. God's nature, this is a dogma, God's nature is incomprehensible to men. This is a de fide dogma. Highest, the highest grade of certainty of any dogma, de fide dogma. Excuse me as I blow my nose. God's nature is incomprehensible to men. Our knowledge of God in this world is a composition of many inadequate concepts, and on account of this composition, it is necessarily limited and imperfect. The Fourth Lateran Council, 1215, and the Vatican Council call God incomprehensible. The Lateran Council also calls him ineffable. Um, here we have some citations. Great. Uh, 
great in counsel and incomprehensible in thought. That from Jerome, I think that must be Saint Jerome. And then there's a citation from Romans 11.33. How incomprehensible are his judgments, how unsearchable his ways, end quote. The fathers, notably Saint Basil, Saint Gregory of Nyssa, Saint John Chrysostom, defend the incomprehensibility of the divine essence by indicating the infinity and the sublimity of God in comparison with all creatures against the eunomians who assumed an exhaustive, that is to say, adequate or comprehensive cognition of God and indeed even in this world. Saint Augustine says, quote, more true than our speech about God is our thinking of him and more true than our thinking is his being, end quote. Only God possesses a comprehensive knowledge of God. For the infinite being can be completely comprehended by an infinite intellect only. And then we have the Summa Theologica citation here. Quote, God whose being is infinite is infinitely knowable. No creature, uh, no created understanding can, however, know God in an infinite manner. End quote. So, I often talk about the distinction between apprehension and comprehension when it comes to uh, knowing God. We can apprehend God, but we can never comprehend God, not even in all eternity. That, that's how we will spend our heaven, is getting to know him. He is infinitely knowable. It's going to take all of eternity to explore that and to enjoy that. Four, truth of the knowledge of God in this world. Although our knowledge of God in this world is imperfect, still it is true because God really possesses the perfections attributed to him. And because we are conscious of the analogous character of our knowledge of God and of our assertions concerning him. I often use the analogy with uh, atheists about uh, the ocean. You've been to the ocean, you've touched the ocean. You may even have dived in and swam around, but you have not plumbed its depths, right? You barely touched the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Section 6, the supernatural knowledge of the divine essence in the other world. 1. Reality of the immediate vision of God. And here we have a dogma. The blessed in heaven possess an immediate intuitive knowledge of the divine essence. This is the highest grade of, of dogma, the de fide grade of dogma. The blessed in heaven possess an immediate intuitive knowledge of the divine essence. This is called the beatific vision, I think. Pope Benedict XII defined in the dogmatic constitution Benedictus Deus, Latin, 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 they, the souls of the just, see the divine essence by an intuitive vision and face to face so that the divine essence is known immediately, showing itself nakedly, clearly, and openly, and not immediately through any creature. That's the end of that reference. And then it says, the Council of Florence determined the object of the knowledge of God in the other world as follows. To know God one and three as he is. That's how the Council of Florence put it. The most apposite passage in Holy Writ is 1 Corinthians 13.12 in which the Apostle contrasts the mirror-like enigmatical and piecemeal knowledge of God in this world with the immediate and clear knowledge of God in the other world. Quote, we see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. End quote. St. John describes the future state which is prepared for the children of God on earth with the words, quote, we shall be like to him because we shall see him as he is. End quote. Compare Matthew 5, 8, 18, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. The older fathers, using the simple words of Holy Scripture, teach that the angels and saints are vouchsafed a real vision of God and behold him face to face. Compare St. Irenaeus. The citation is there if you want to see it. Since the middle of the 4th century, some fathers like St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. John Chrysostom, 
appear to dispute the possibility of an immediate vision of God. Their assertions in point of fact can, however, be explained as being directed against Eunomius, Eunomius who claimed an immediate cognition of God even in this world. In contrast to this, the father stressed that the knowledge of God in this world is immediate, in the next world, immediate, but not comprehensive. St. John Chrysostom compares the vision of God in the other world with that with the sight of the transfigured Christ on Tabor and says, quote, what shall be said when royalty itself appears, when the palace is opened and it is permitted to view the king himself, no longer enigmatically, nor in a glass, but face to face, no longer in faith, but in vision. A glass of water here. Two, object of the immediate vision of God. The primary object of the immediate vision of God is the infinite essence of in its triune fullness of personal life. B. The secondary object consists in the extra-divine things which are seen in God as the origin of all things. The scope of this knowledge is different in the individual blessed, blessed according to the grade of their immediate cognition of God. The latter, however, is determined by the measure of their supernatural merits. One may assume with St. Thomas that the glorified spirit in God in any case sees all that pertains to it. Nothing is lacking to the knowledge of a beatus of things which pertain to him. He knows all these in the word. He knows all these in the word. That from St. Thomas. Three, supernatural character of the immediate vision of God. The this is a dogma. The immediate vision of God transcends the natural power of cognition of the human soul and is therefore supernatural. That's a de fide dogma. The Council of Vienna, 1311-1312, rejected the false teaching of the Bagards and the Beguines. The soul does not need the light of glory, elevating it to see and enjoy God. That is condemned by the Council of Vienna. They rejected statement. According to the general teaching of theologians, the immediate vision of God is a gift absolutely exceeding the natural potentiality of every created and creatable intellect, and hence it is absolutely supernatural. Holy Scripture asserts that the immediate knowledge of the divine essence is inaccessible to natural reason. 1 Timothy 6.16, quote, God habiteth light inaccessible, whom no one hath seen nor can see, end quote. The vision of the divine essence belongs by its very nature only to God. John 1.18, quote, No man hath seen God, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. He hath declared him, end quote. Compare Matthew 11.27, John 6.46, 1 Corinthians 2.11. Speculatively, the absolute supernatural character of the immediate vision of God may be demonstrated from the principle. As the nature is, so is the cognition. When the mode of being of the object of cognition is higher than the mode of being of the subject of cognition, then the latter is from its nature incapable of immediately knowing the object of cognition in its essence. God is subsistent being. Ipsum esse subsistens. While every created intellect has a communicated being, esse participatum, only. Every created intellect has a communicated being only. Therefore, it lies beyond the cognitive power of every created intellect immediately to know the essence of God. Compare the Summa Theologica. On account of its absolute supernatural character, the immediate vision of God is a mystery stricte dictum. 
strictly so-called, is a mystery properly so-called. One may, with St. Augustine and St. Thomas, assume that the human intellect can, even on earth, be elevated supernaturally and exceptionally to the immediate vision of God, as examples are quoted. Moses and St. Paul, and that references are given there, Exodus 33.11, Numbers 12.8, 2 Corinthians 12.2, and following. Compare St. Augustine, and the references are given there, and compare the Summa Theologica also. Or necessity of the light of glory for the immediate vision of God. The possibility of the elevation of the soul to the immediate vision of God is founded on the one hand on the soul's likeness to God, i.e. on its immateriality, and on the other hand on the omnipotence of God. Here we have another dogma. The soul for the immediate vision of God requires the light of glory. This is a de fide dogma. Lumen gloriae is as necessary for the mode of cognition of the state of glory as is lumen rationis for the mode of cognition of the state of nature, and lumen fide for the mode of cognition of the state of faith. It consists in a lasting supernatural perfection of the human power of cognition through which it is inwardly strengthened for the vital act of the immediate vision of the divine essence. In its ontological nature, it must be considered as supernatural as a supernatural operative habit, it must be considered as a supernatural operative habit bestowed upon reason. The habit of the light of glory dissolves the habit of faith. The expression which is first found in St. Bonaventura and St. Thomas goes back to Psalm 35.10. In lumine tuo videbimus lumen. Videbimus lumen. Section 7, the supernatural knowledge of the divine being in this world. 5, limits to the immediate vision of God. Here we have another dogma. God's essence is also incomprehensible to the blessed in heaven. That's a de fide dogma. The blessed in heaven also possess no adequate or comprehensive cognition of the divine being. God is for every created spirit, even in the state of supernatural elevation, incomprehensible. According to the Vulgate, okay, so there was reference given to Jerome and uh, Denzinger. In the times of the Father, St. John Chrysostom especially, in his 12 homilies De Incomprehensibili, has defended the incomprehensibility of God against the Eunomians. Eunomians, I think that comes from the Greek, good law. The intrinsic basis of the incomprehensibility of God lies in the boundless abyss between the infinite divine spirit and the finite created spirit. The finite spirit can understand the infinite essence of God in a finite manner only. Section 7. The supernatural knowledge of the divine being in this world through faith. The order of grace in this world is a preliminary stage and a preparation for the glory in the world to come. <clears throat> Supernatural faith here below corresponds to the immediate vision of God in the other world. Wow. Faith is a kind of anticipation of the vision of God in the world to come. Amazing. Cherish your faith, people. Cherish your faith. It's a gift. Relation 1. Relation to the knowledge of God. Knowledge of faith is distinguished from natural knowledge of God by the principle of cognition. Ratio fide illustrata, the means of cognition, relevatio divina, and the formal object, God as he is known through revelation. The principal object of supernatural faith lies in the mysteries of faith which are known by divine revelation. Mysteria in Deo abscondita. Quae nisi revelata divinitus in notescere non possunt. My Latin is no good. The divine revelation guarantees the infallible certainty of the truths of faith. 
The truths of faith have therefore a higher degree of certitude than the natural truths of reason. Amen. But from the viewpoint of clarity or intelligibility, the natural truths of reason are higher than the truths of faith, because in the former we possess an inner insight, in the latter, however, we do not. In this sense, the frequently cited saying of Hugo of St. Victor is valid. Hugo Victor, Hugo of St. Victor died in 1141. getting error messages on my I'm getting error messages on my YouTube live stream let's hope this is actually intelligible in this sense the frequently cited saying of Hugo of St. Victor is valid namely that the certitude of faith is of a lower grade than natural knowledge. Two, relation to the immediate vision of God. In relation to the vision of God in the other world, the supernatural cognition of faith, although it is also a participation in the divine self-cognition, is still imperfect. The basic truths of faith are beyond the power of comprehension to the, of the human reason, and even after the revelation, still remain obscure and mysterious. 2 Corinthians 5.7, We walk by faith and not by sight. End quote. As supernatural revelation takes its concepts from the created world, so also the cognition of faith is analogical. 1 Corinthians 13.12, Now we see through a glass in a dark manner. End quote. I'm going to leave it there. We are at chapter two of book one. And uh, I hope this video is such that we can actually hear what I was reading. So it's very, very interesting stuff, very good stuff. But I'm going to stop the stream now and I'll continue this uh, probably on Sunday. So take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. God bless.